worthy today. Oh, come on, somebody thank the Lord with me together today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Well, while you are standing, let's go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading at verse 13. Amen and amen. Brother Joey, if you could just step out and make sure everybody's coming in. Uh, tell them it's time to get to church. 1 Peter 2.13 Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. That with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Amen. This morning, with the help of the Lord, I'm going to teach on this Subject, submission silences fools. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is your church, not ours. You and your word alone saves, delivers, and heals. You know every need. You know every struggle. You know every issue. You know every person, every family. And so, Lord, right now we believe that your word is not only anointed, but for this moment in time it is appointed. So on the authority of your word, I bind every spirit of hindrance and loose your anointing to fill this place. Bring our thoughts captive. Without you, we're nothing. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power. Confirm your word with signs following. And Jesus, as I teach and preach your word, let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Silence or submission silences fools. The word ignorance in verse 15 means lack of spiritual discernment, no knowledge of God's ways. Can I tell you that the world's ways are completely different than God's ways? Which is why we must be counter and anti-culture. We do not think like and act like and live like the world because we're not of this world. Amen. A foolish person will speak ignorantly of that which he or she does not understand. But submission, which is God's will, silences them. This is what happened between Jesus and Pilate. What is truth? Right? And other questions that Pilate asked, it, it silenced him. When he asked about him being king, of the Jews. He said, if, if my kingdom were of this world, well, I, I, I wouldn't be here. You, my, my, my subjects would have risen up and fought, but they didn't because my kingdom's not of this world. Why is submission so important? Well, it's a weapon we use against the enemy that silences him. That's a pretty good reason. And like Jesus, we're of a different kingdom. We do not act, think, or fight according to the flesh. To understand submission 
and the context that we've read today, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 18, we need to consider the beginning. We need to go all the way back to Genesis for a moment and return to creation. You see, God created order out of chaos. The earth was without form. That means there was no structure. It was void. This means it was empty and it was dark, meaning it was devoid of light. So God established order, filled the earth, and gave His light. The natural laws that God set in motion that we can read in the book of Genesis still govern the world today. The sun rose in the east because God established it so 6,000 years ago. It'll set in the west because God established it to do so. Earth's submission to the Creator and His precise order, in fact, the word cosmos comes from the word order, allows the earth to be inhabited by humans and animals. You could say that the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, gravity, all submit to God's perfect plan giving us the ability to measure time accurately. It's so detailed that we can go back in time now and see what the night sky would have looked like based upon the accuracy of time. God's creative order and His creation submits to Him silences those who are foolish enough to believe in a humanistic, atheistic theory. And in the same way that creation submits to the Creator, Peter gives four areas we need to submit to. He repeats one of them, so really it's three. In, and it's in the home, in the church, we need to submit to society, and we need to submit in the world. And then he gives us a, a threefold cord, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But let me say this for a moment. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We know that from the book of Revelation. And he attempts to bring accusation against us. But let me tell you how easy it is to defeat the devil. You ready? James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he might flee from you. Oh, hold on. Oh, yeah, it does say will. It's that simple. Our submission to God, our resistance of the enemy causes him to flee. So you might say submission is a weapon to use against the enemy. By the way, just want to sidebar for a moment. Be careful if you accuse somebody, because if you start accusing people, you begin to align yourself with Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Just want to throw that out there. The word submit means obey, be subject to, and it also has from it a Greek military meaning to arrange a troop division in a military fashion under the command of a leader. It's non-military use 
is the voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. All of these relate to what the words submit or submission mean in Scripture. Now, although God wants us to submit, and again, in the home, in the church, in society, and in the world, although those are things God wants us to submit in, there are exceptions where submission to God supersedes submission to others. Let me explain. If what is expected of you violates obedience to God's word, then Peter's words to the Sanhedrin are appropriate. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's in Acts 5.28. You see, Daniel serves as an example. He would not defile himself with the king's meat. And God honored him for it. Now, here we just read to honor the king, right? To fear God and all this. Well, if that king is demanding us to go against the word of God, then we go with God, not the king. And the king can be government, of course. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also violated and did not submit to the king's order to bow and worship to a false god. Why? Because that order violated God's law. Also, Daniel, in chapter 6 of, of the book bearing his name, blatantly ignored the king's decree not to pray to any other god but himself for 30 days. And he opened up his windows like he had every uh, day for, for, since he had been in captivity and prayed three times a day and was put into the lion's den because of it. King Saul's own bodyguard refused to obey Saul's command to kill him, and Saul had to fall on his own sword. Peter and John refused to obey the Sanhedrin's decree to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 4. I could go on and on, and I don't have all that time to do so, but if we did, I could show you multiple places where whenever a decree, whether it be from government or from a pulpit or from wherever, does not align with God's word. God's word trumps man. Does that make sense? And let me just add a little bit here. I know um, some of the men in here are married and, and, you know, been married for quite some time. But men, quoting Ephesians to your wife and saying, submit to me, woman, is probably not in line with what God expects. And if I hear you say that, I'm liable to talk to you and say, well, if, if that's what you expect, which is okay because the Bible says to, uh, you have to love her unconditionally and give yourself up for her. And so if you'll do your part, it'll make it easier for her to do her part. Right? But let's remember that the Word of God supersedes everything. It's high exalted, lifted up, it rules and reigns. It is the constitution of the church. And unlike the United States Constitution, which seems to be a, a, a fluid document, this is not. The Word of God is not. So, the Bible gives a threefold chord in the text we read today. And I'm going to hit it again in 1 Peter 2.17. And this will help us to understand how to practice submission. Notice, honor is mentioned twice, so I'm only going to uh, it, it, that's why I say a threefold chord. But notice it says, honor all men or people, love the brotherhood, 
fear God, and then again, honor the king. So honor, love, fear presents to us a threefold court of submission to understand how to practice it. Don't you like it when you're told to do something, but then you're told how to do it? I love, that's what I love about God, you know. I mean, I remember the, the first time I was handed, uh, uh, I was working for my father-in-law, and I don't even remember what the tool was now, but he handed me some sort of tool I had never used before, never seen before. I'm like, how do I use this? Well, figure it out. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Hope I'm doing it right. It's kind of like the comedian that jokes, and he says, you know, I was in the gym the other day. You ever go into the gym, by the way, and, and you try out one of them new machines, and, and you don't know what you're doing on it, you know? And so he's on that new machine, and he's got himself all discombobulated, and the worker comes over and says, sir, would you please get off the scaffolding? You know. Yeah, well, that was me with the tool. I mean, you know, what do I do with this? Well, God doesn't just give you the tool and say, here, figure it out. He tells us how to do it. And so the threefold court of submission is honor, love, fear. Let's talk about honor for a minute. Here in the New Testament, it means to show high regard for, to revere, to venerate, to assign value to. Now, this is the Greek definition, but it parallels the Hebrew definition for the word honor. Honor your father and mother. It's the Hebrew word kabad, which means to add weight to. The idea is like scales. And if I've got a five ounce uh, uh, you know, uh, piece of metal over here and, and you are to give me five ounces of silver for what you're buying from me, well, once you put that on there, the scale should level out. Well, to honor means to add weight to, to add value to, to say you're valuable. To understand this, again, think of those scales. Are we honoring God? Are we honoring others? And in this case, it's honoring all men. It's honoring others. Did you know that honoring all people puts us on equal footing at the cross of Jesus Christ? I love that about God. There are no big eyes and little U's. Amen? It doesn't matter what title, role, position, calling, gifting that you may have. All of us are looking forward to hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't expect him to say to me, well done, good and faithful superintendent, good and faithful pastor, good and faithful bishop. And all that. I don't care if he says all that stuff. I just want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to have been faithful in serving him. Right? And so honoring all people puts us... On that equal footing. We might have disparity when it comes to our finances. Some might have make more or less than others. And we might have some with more education and others with less. But at the cross, we are all coming together as one. Amen? Here's something else about honoring all people. Prejudice is eradicated when we honor all people. And we realize that everyone is created in the image of God. And the tone of our skin. Come on, somebody. Listen to what Galatians 3.26 says. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ. We've got one getting baptized today, praise the Lord. Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. What it's saying is at the cross, we're all one. At the cross, there is no big eyes and little U's. At the cross, we're simply the body and the bride of Christ. 
And so honoring all others brings that to bear. Honoring all people reveals that Christ is what really matters. Listen to Colossians 3, 10 through 11. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. That's what matters. Did you know that honoring all people promotes unity and edifies the church? Well, uh, it does. Ephesians 5, 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for all things and to God, even the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, here it is. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Notice, submit to one another. Mutual submission. That honoring. By the way, Husbands, although our wives are to submit to us in our homes, there's a mutual submission between us. Amen? This also means that while you, the saints of this church, are submitted to me as your pastor, I'm also submitted to you. There's mutual submission. Any pastors that are in this room today listening, any pastors listening online, or any wannabe pastors that might be in this room or listening online, hear me loud and clear. It's not do as I say. (laughs) It's follow me as I follow Christ. There's a qualifier. If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. But as long as I'm following Christ, be right in step with me. Amen. Praise God. I'm submitted to you in the fear of God. Let's go to Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 17. This is, I'm again going to read from the New Living. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. That is similar to what Paul said in Corinthians, I think uh, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, where he said, follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Verse 17, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. I have a covering. I'm I'm not up here uncovered today spiritually. I'm submitted. I have a pastor that I'm submitted to. I've got a five-fold ministry over me as well. Amen? And so... There's, there's beauty in that. There's, there's power in that when we understand honor. And by the way, thank you for remembering me in your prayers and all the pastoral team. Thank you for following me as I follow Christ. Thank you for submitting to and obeying what I say to do and in in, 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 in teach according to the word of the Lord. I, I, will, I will tell you this. I will do my best. You hear me pray it every time I preach. Let me walk in your spirit, not my flesh. I'll do the same if I'm talking to you one-on-one. And if you come to me with a question, I'm going to answer it from the word. I am going to buy a t-shirt, though. I'm going to get a t-shirt made. And Sister Alicia, this is what it's going to say on the front. If at first you didn't succeed. And on the back, it's going to say, you should have done it the way your pastor said to. 
<laughs> I'll sell one to all the pastoral team. <laughs> Amen. But let me also say this. Paul told pastors, don't abuse your power in the gospel. And so I don't, while, you know, we can had a little bit of humor to help understand the principle and the point. The fact is, I don't take it lightly that I've got people that are under my care. Okay? And, and, I, and I hope you think that and know that and believe that because I can also say the pastoral team joins me in that and, and it's a shared responsibility as we shepherd this church. While I'm on that, let's just flip over to 1 Peter 5, verse 2. It's just, if you're still got your Bible open, it's just a couple of pages over. Here's what it says to, to us who are preachers of the Word of God. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Watch this. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. By the way, that's money. You've heard me say before, I'm not in it for the income. I'm in it for the outcome. Praise God. But again, know that even though you're to remember and to obey me and submit to me as pastor, there's mutual submission where together I'm submitted to you in the fear of the Lord as well. So that's honoring. We honor. That's, that's the first of the threefold cord of what it means to submit. Let's now look at love. In 1 Peter 2.17, I looked it up, double-checked, triple-checked to make sure it is agape. It is unconditional love. So when God inspires Peter to write and say, love the brotherhood, he's actually referencing the church. It doesn't mean we don't love all people. But what it's saying is, especially the church. That's why Paul said in Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. It doesn't mean that we necessarily love people in the church more Per se, we love everybody. We want everybody to come. We want all people to come and to experience the hope and healing promised through Jesus Christ. Amen? But I'm also going to love those who are a part of that faith, who are a part of what Ephesians 6.15 or 3.15 says, the household of faith or the, the family of God. Amen? We love unconditionally, and when we do, we reveal submission and we silence Fools, listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 from the New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about uh, injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth went out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And the last part of verse 8 in the New Living says, Love will last forever. Now, here's the thing since God is love and He fills us who are spirit filled, that means we have to be love. So we need to insert our own name. In other words, we could say of the whole church, TCOO is patient and kind. And if we can't say that and mean it and it be true, then we've got to find an altar. If you can't put your name there and say, I don't keep a record of being wrong. If you can't put your name there, you've got to find an altar today and repent. Because love is another way we show submission. It's a part of that threefold cord. Amen. 
Did you know that submission is God's will? 1 Peter 2.15, I'll read it again. For so is the will of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about submission. Verse 13 is where he started the context. Submit yourselves. And it silences the foolishness of ignorant men. I want to do God's will, do you? Well, since submission is God's will and it silences fools, and I know you and I want to do God's will, then I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world. The world tells you to step on other people to get what you want, to lie and cheat and steal, and it's okay. We see it on college campuses. We see it in government. We see it everywhere. But we're not conformed to this world. But we're transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to prove the will of God through my lifestyle. So I'm going to love. The first epistle of John reveals the imperative of loving God and others. Listen, and if Brother Daniel, if you could just drop down to 1 John 3, verse 16. He says, hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, listen to what it says here. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, he that loves not knows not God for God is love. Amen. Back in the previous chapter, he said, little children, let us not love in word and uh, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Romans 12 tells us to let love be genuine without hypocrisy. God is love, and we re when we reflect His unconditional love, we reveal Jesus to others. Some will still mock, but others will see it and glorify God when they see your good works. So honor is a part of that threefold cord, and Love is a part of that threefold cord. And fear, fear God, is the third part of that threefold cord. Can I just pause here for a minute and tell you, we need a revival of the fear of God. We do. It is time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. Amen. Listen, I don't want to just come and sit on a blue chair and worship and say, well, that was a great service, and have stuff in my heart that needs to be dealt with. I want to take every opportunity that if there's something there, it's cleansed, it's on the altar, it's under the blood, and I'm, I'm submitting to Jesus. The third strand in this threefold cord of submission is the fear of God. You might say, you know, you know what a governor is on like a truck? It governs the, the speed limit and all that, right? It's like a governor. Fear of God is God's governor to our flesh when our flesh wants to take control. Job declared it this way, Job 28, 28, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. David wrote and said, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. An unknown psalmist in Psalm 111 said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Solomon wrote probably the most about it. He says in Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. On into the chapter, uh, first chapter, he talks about fools and scorners delighting in their scorning and fools hating knowledge and terror and destruction coming upon them. And then he said this in verse 29, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13, he says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 14, in the fear, by the way, fearing the Lord protects your family. Watch this. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Did you know the fear of the Lord is eternally valuable? Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble. Verse 22, or chapter 22, 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And did you know that the fear of the Lord can save your soul? Proverbs 16, 16, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Verse 19 Uh, uh, Verse 23 of chapter 19, the fear of the Lord tends, that means leads, to life. And he that has it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. I'm just crazy to enough that since God cannot lie, to believe that since God cannot lie, his truth is is forever settled in heaven. His word is forever settled in heaven. I'm going to believe what he says and I'm going to practice the fear of the Lord. Psalm 130 is one of the songs of ascent and explains that if God was to give us what we deserved, we would be without hope. But instead, he forgives us so that he may be feared. God's forgiveness of our sins should lead us to practicing the fear of the Lord. And all we have to do is think about the parable Jesus told of the man who owed just or a massive amount, 10,000 talents, which is, would be billions of dollars in our economy today. And he was forgiven by the king, but he goes out and finds someone that owes him 100 pence. That's about a third of a year's wages. And he goes out and he doesn't forgive that man. And he's thrown in prison. All we have to do is remember that if God gave us what we really deserve, the wages of sin is, the gift of God is eternal life. The benefits of fearing the Lord are clear. And when you couple that together with honor and love, your submission silences fools. The world will say, oh, it's foolish to submit. Well, you don't know the benefits I get from it. So you can think that you're entitled to your opinion, but respectfully, you have a right to be wrong. (laughs) I know the benefits of honoring and loving and fearing I know the benefits of obeying what this says and receiving what this promises. The Bible tells us that a threefold cord is not too quickly broken. It's it's describing the strands of the the tighter and more powerful they become. It's it's hard for that to get broken. But when when Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes, he also is explaining it with people. If, If one is alone... And he, and he falls, he, he's all alone, and he has nobody to help him. If, if he has two, then if one more is with him, then that's good. But, man, a threefold cord, that's not too quickly broken. 
Well, I think we can apply that principle to this. By the way, did you know every time that you're participating with the message, it's a threefold chord? You're listening. You're thinking. And some of you are verbally saying amen or that's right or good preaching or whatever. You know, Bishop, you're awesome, you know. I, I know you're thinking it, babe, you know. Um, even though you may not be verbally saying it, you're, you're contemplating it. And so there's a threefold chord happening. That's why we've got to be careful what we say. I'm, I'm not that good. You're creating a threefold chord. I, I do have hope for some of you, though, and I, I need to pause here just for just a minute for station identification um, and uh, let you know something. And I, I need to make a confession here today, and that is, as your pastor and bishop, I'm a loser. Just want that clear. I'm a loser. Okay. Just let that set for a minute and marinate in your spirit. Um, the Bible says if you lose your life for his sake, so I'm a loser. So if anybody ever tells you, Pastor Powell is a loser, you say, yes, he is, and he knows it. Can't use that one against me. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, be careful what we say because it'll create a threefold chord. Jesus is probably the best picture of revealing to us true submission. He submitted fully, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, Jesus also mutually submitted himself to others. He's their master, their teacher, their rabbi. He is God manifest in flesh, and he's picking up a towel in the wash basin to wash their feet. That's mutual submission. He even submitted to the government. When he told Peter to go fishing and pay taxes. Wouldn't it be nice, Brother Terry, if every time you go fishing, you know, you got enough money to pay your taxes for the next year? Wouldn't that be great? You'd probably go fishing every day, man. She's like, go fishing for me too, would you? <laughs> right? Like, if you need your taxes paid, go see Terry, man. Woo! <laughs> In fact, I want to I point out something here. You, you probably are, are somewhat familiar with this, and if not, it, you will be when I tell it, but the... You probably are aware that the religious leaders tried to trick Jesus often, right? Well, one of those times, they, they said to him, you know, they brought to him a coin and said, you know, uh, should we pay taxes, you know? And, and Caesar is a pagan, you know, king and blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, let me see the coin. He says, whose inscription is on it? Well, Caesar's. Then render to Caesar's that which is Caesar's and to God's that which is God's. You know what he did when he said that? He he set a principle in motion. And I've come to a, this message today and come to this point in the sermon as, as we're nearing the close to come to you with this question. Whose image are you bearing? He said, this coin, what, what, what's the image? What's the inscription? It's Caesar. Okay. The render to Caesar's. That which is Caesar's and to God's. That which is God, implying that if our lives bear the image and the inscription of Jesus, well, what's the inscription? That's his word. What's the image? That's his name, his blood. If we will bear that image, are you following what I'm saying? It's, it's not saying we can't pay taxes. I'm saying, 
I'm giving you the point here that in the principle, submission shows that we bear the image of Christ, that we bear the inscription of Christ. You see, the flesh doesn't want to submit. But the flesh ain't in charge. I've crucified it with its deeds and its lusts and its passions. I'm going to submit. I want my life to bear the image and the inscription of Jesus. And if it does, I'll have no problem submitting to him and to others and mutually and all of that. I'll have no problem strengthening that threefold cord of honor, love, and fear. And so the question becomes, does your life bear the image of Christ or your flesh? And here's what's so amazing about grace. God lets you pick. He lets you decide. Brother Sal, you and I like the Yankees. My future son-in-law likes the Cardinals. But I do wear a shirt to, you know, whatever. But I like the Yankees like you. Well, at a meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Bobby Richardson, former New York Yankees, second baseman, he was a Christian, he offered this prayer and, and it's, it's classic in its brevity and poignancy and even in its revealing of submission. Here's what he said, and I quote, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. This one's for you, Alicia. Roger Staubach. Brother Keith, I think you at one point liked the, maybe still do, like the Dallas Cowboys. I still want to remind everybody they haven't won since my son was born in 1996, 27 years ago. But just. Anyway, moving on. Roger Staubach, which, by the way, phenomenal. Co uh, player and his coach, of course, phenomenal. Landry, Tom Landry, what a coach. But anyway, in 1971, Roger Staubach led the Dallas Cowboys to the Super Bowl, and he admitted that his position as a quarterback, he did not call his own signal, signals, and it was a source of trial for him. Coach Landry, as now we know from history, um, brilliant genius mind he sent in every play and he told Roger when to pass and when to run and and only in extreme emergency situations could he change he being Roger change the play and if he did he better be right and even though Roger considered coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy Roger's own pride said that he should be able to run his own team and this is what he said though he later said after they got to the Super Bowl he said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. And once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Well, hopefully we can grasp the, the principle of these two references to sports individuals who learned the value of submission and saw a victory of what Paul says of crown that fades away if they can understand it for a crown that fades away how much more should we understand it for a crowd that fades not away I'm willing to submit I'm willing to love 
honor, and fear and create a strong threefold cord so that when God or the world or the angels or demons see me, they see me submitted to God. Amen. Let's stand together in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Lord, this is a, a topic that can be at times hard because it's been abused and pulpits have abused it and pastors have abused it and, and churches have abused the topic of submission. But today, Lord, I believe you've given us a fresh perspective, a biblical perspective, a, a way to look at this in such a way that honors you and fulfills your word. And I pray you would help us to leave here today changed by the word of the Lord. Let it impact us and let our submission silence fools in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Let's clap our hands to the Lord. He's worthy. <laughs> Praise God. Well, God bless you. Enjoy the short break, and we'll see you back at 1120 in Jesus' name.